Hey, it's uh, Peter here with my FSHD, and uh, we're back trying to get back on schedule with our Wednesday episodes. I have our, um, I, can, I, again? I can call you our Christopher goddess, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It may be after we can call ourselves whatever we want. We can call ourselves Queen Elizabeth if we like. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. <laughs> Uh, they're gonna think we're drinking something stronger than espresso but we're not we then just brought in some espressos yes. um, to get us hype. going and and uh but we had a number of questions today and crisper so i thought i'd go to the expert and bring her in but first you know okay you know again i'm just kind of screwed up you know so you know the premier league is now playing games midweek because they've you know the world cup what is sport in the, is this soccer oh, Christ, you're a tennis person <laughs> I'm watching the they're US playing, Open. They're playing, who cares? They're playing. I would mid, be if playing, I wasn't working. They're playing midweek, and, you know, Arsenal won again. Uh, is that good or bad? It's fantastic. Yay. It's, 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 it means the you know, up is down, down is up. <laughs> Lions are sitting down with the Lambs, wow. and, and Arsenal is uh, first place in the Premier League, you know. and uh, But some things haven't changed. They kept the Liverpool game going on. It would probably still be going if they were going to make sure that they scored a winning goal in, in late enough. But that's right. You're you're a tennis person. Do Americans watch soccer, or are you talking to your uh, your FSHD we, community well, from afar? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I think there's enough. You know, a lot of well, first off, Americans. You know, what is an American? <laughs> We're from all over the place. We're all mutts. This is a very undirected. All, I'm sitting podcast. here in my. I got my Springbok uh, yeah, rugby jersey. Oh no, it's a gazelle. It's a Springbok. Uh, oh, a no, Springbok is a thing. <laughs> It's an animal that literally says Springbok underneath it. It is actually, that is a Springbok. Oh, it's okay. the South African rugby. It's a lovely, team. lovely gazelle-like creature. It's As a you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we, we watch, you know, we're, we are global in my FSHD. And we're, you know, I'm very, you know, worldly in my Oh, my you certainly are. Yes, yes. Man of the world. Man of the world. Renaissance man. <laughs> Epicurean. Yes. Yeah, well, so, well, I said, what's the Osaka loss? Yeah, yeah, saw that. Again. Yeah. First yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. So did uh, Emma Raducanu. Well, nice in the fan. <laughs> but uh, there goes yeah. her ranking. <laughs> yeah. So, so since there's nothing to want, Nadal steroid boy is still uh Now, now, I'm a huge Nadal fan. <laughs> that's completely on. What's the word? On uh, substantiated. Yeah, that's right. Shouldn't be spreading vile rumors about uh, about our athletes. No, I'm not trying to remember. I think it's fantastic that he's the one patient of the steroid doctor that didn't take steroids and managed to be <laughs> grow to enormous strength and fitness while he was young. I could name several <laughs> female tennis players that could break him over their, their knees, but we won't get into that. Speaking We're supposed getting, to be talking about FSH. Speaking of getting broken over your knees. Yeah. Ben also brought in chocolates. That's probably not something we should have. Well, you're eating yours. Mm -hmm. I'm saving mine for later. Okay, well, let me get this going here. All right, so we had some questions about CRISPR. And uh, we'll ask you general questions, all sorts of questions. And we won't tell everybody what your response was, you know, because your response was, well, listen to the previous podcast. <laughs> and the point is, you know, CRISPR is complicated. Right. FSHD is complicated. In fact, that's one of the questions. Why is FSHD complicated? How does it work? Um. I've, I've covered that a few times. Evidently, it's not getting through. Um, do you want to cover how FSHD works? Are we religious? Oh, FSHD. Right. Um, how it works? Do I want to cover how it works? FSHD 101. Give us FSHD mm. in a nutshell and, and like, you know, so I can finish my espresso. All right. So FSHD 1 is a contraction of 
this uh, repeat array. So well, can I a... be a devil's advocate oh, and like, sure. ask you silly questions the whole time? Go ahead. <laughs> we'll just edit them out if I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Okay, go on. There's a repeat array in the chromosome 4, 4Q35, if anyone cares. And uh, normally, uh, it is hundreds of repeat units. So these are very large, 3.3 kilobases each. And there's normally hundreds of them in your, in your genome at this location. And in FSHD1, there's a shortening of this array. And you say, well, who cares? What does this array actually do? Well, turns out there's a gene called DUX4, which exists in every single unit of the array. And normally, DUX4, which plays an important role in early embryogenesis, really has to be shut off after that. After that, it has to be shut off because it's a very powerful transcription factor that drives um, huge programs of gene expression, which should, should not be active um, in adult somatic cells. Especially What's the transcription muscle. factor? Oh, boy. Transcription factor is a protein that uh, binds protein? to the regular... <laughs> you know... <laughs> We're getting off track. People can Google that stuff. Okay. What's a transcription factor? It's a protein that binds to the regulatory regions of, of genes to drive the uh, expression or prevent the expression of other proteins. Yeah, that's a transcription factor. So they can be repressors, they can be activators. Uh, generally, they can do both depending on the context. They're complicated proteins and extremely multifunctional. But uh, okay, so they're important for regulating gene expression. A gene that encodes a transcription factor. So you can think of it almost like a like a Christmas tree sort of thing. That you activate a transcription factor, and then that in turn activates many other genes, but some of which may also be transcription right. factors, and then activate just kind of like yep. Christmas tree this thing out, yep. and and more and more things going down. So it's oh. but so Dux four is like at the expression. at the stump. In some ways, it's the it is the it's a pioneer um, factor. It's something. Yeah, it's an early, yeah, transcription early transcription factor, factor. That's, that starts things going. Yeah. So and very powerful programs of gene expression, so which, which embryos that, need because you know they're muscle cells growing and migrating and morphing and yeah, but muscle cells don't need. It. They're they're already set. They're muscle cells. And most and, cells don't need. Yeah, it, frankly. you just only need it really to drive right, right. early embryogenesis. Okay, and so so. Uh, so you know, Dux four um, happens to exist in every unit of uh, this large repeat array, and it needs to be shut off after after this particular stage of embryogenesis. And uh, in FSHD1, because the array is shortened, um, this actually changes the repressive nature of the DNA. So normally repressed DNA is, is covered with repressive proteins that keep things kind of compacted and keep any genes that are in that area off. Um, and with the shortening of the array, the array you lose that, uh, we call epigenetic repression. And DUX4 is expressed from the very last unit of the repeat array. And that's because it happens to have some sequences downstream that stabilize expression. So, so you weren't a hundred percent correct in what you said. And I'm, <laughs> I'm a trying to keep it simple. I'm a niggler for details, <laughs> but you know, the one thing way that because I've talked to some of the you know I've talked to the gang before a little bit. Can't shut me up. I've been told. And uh, so the Dux4 gene, the way the way I simplified is there's two parts to it, and the one part which actually encodes for the whole protein that's in every single one of the repeat array units. Yep. And then the second part is what you were kind of starting to get, which is in the other, which is the polyadenylation signal, or just actually the stabilizing signal so that you need to make part one and glue it to part two. And then you have a stabilized message or transcript or whatever you want to call it that can be made into the Dux4 protein. And part one without part two, you don't get anything. 
and part two by itself really doesn't do anything either. You need part one and part two. And that's what we mean about permissive. If you had reports from your my that's you know, from the your testing that we do through my FSHD, you'll see if you're permissive or non-permissive. If you have FSHD, you're permissive. Everybody with FSHD is permissive, meaning you have part um well, you have part one and two. Um, everybody uh, who is permissive does not have FSHD. In fact, most people have part one and two. It's just whether or not you're on or off. So you need to have part one and two to make ducks four, and then you have to have the epigenetic dysregulation where it's active, you know, in order to be on. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make you know. I, it's a, so. So I'm going to, okay, I didn't mention this when we had our little pre-meeting um, two-minute confab. So interesting thing. Well, let's see, let's see if you get to a, the same place. So this seems like a very unusual way to regulate a very important gene. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it was intentional. Did you this notice a religious the, conversation? Did you notice the blank stare? <laughs> oh, yeah, and, well, so, you know, all... So Dux4, we often say, is uniquely human in the sense that Dux4 itself, that sequence, and what really, the, you know, even the function is conserved, meaning that other placental animals, other, you know, most of the other animals out there have a Dux family protein that does the same thing. It's expressed in either the two-cell stage, like the mouse, the mouse Dux is expressed in the two-cell stage, and... Um, then turns off human ducks four is expressed in the four cell stage but mouse ducks and human ducks are actually very different sequences and the proteins are very different which is why it's hard to hard to study them but um and comparatively but you know so on one so we call these what orthologs right that mm -hmm. they have the, the same function even though they have kind of a divergent sequence um but uh in, in humans in our old world primates with ducks four this just seems like a very wacky way to regulate very important gene. What do you think is going on? <laughs> How did we evolve? You mean? I mean, what do you mean? Oh, you're one of those evolution folks, huh? <laughs> no. You think God put it there? <laughs> well, no. So we were having the reason I bring this up is you know so so it's an interesting thing. How do how do you make so why do you have ducks four? And so we know you need to have ducks in order to a ducks protein to drive zygotic you know, transcription and, and the, yeah, a duck's knockout, right? Um, like Michael Kaiba made a duck's, mouse duck's knockout mouse. And, you know, basically it really greatly impacts uh, yeah, um, placental implantation and, and develop, you know, see, so it's important. Right. I mean, there's other other factors that do similar things, but it, you really need the duck's proteins to do this. So, um, but what, you know, normally when you go through evolution, you, uh, only save things or keep things that are evolutionarily beneficial. So you would imagine that new world primates or the, or the go back far into the primate lineage, you might have, um, you know, ducks just works as ducks. And then it's only in the old world primates where you have this uh, retro transposition and expansion, massive expansion. And suddenly you have a, uh, uh, this unusual regulation where you've maintained its embryonic function, but you have, you know, you, but you also have this kind of problem that you you created. So why won't you have kept this sort of um, potentially 
uh, disastrous problem of FSHD. I mean, there's no, there's no, I guess what I'm getting at, it seems like there's no evolutionary advantage, one might think, to having uh, this type of uh, regulation. Well, you know, evolution is a strange thing. We always think of evolution as driving towards the perfect situation for an organism, but it doesn't really, if you look at actual evolutionary leaps, they're, they're not that directed. I mean, evolution is all about, you know, you, you have random mutations and some of those mutations confer a survival advantage. It may not be in the best long-term interest of the organism, but short-term, if it's short-term, it confers a survival advantage, then it is passed down and it, it tends to propagate. Um, things tend to be lost if they're not used, but if something is used, it doesn't mean it's used in the best way for the organism. So, you know, I think of it as something where it's it's not a great situation, but it conferred some kind of advantage, you know, and 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 driving this okay. this program. So, so there's a couple. So right, exactly. So what you know, so you know, of course you can't. You know, this is where these. I always I've always been kind of jealous of uh, not jealous, but well, sometimes you get jealous. It is you know, people like theoretical physics. Yeah, you just you just talk about <laughs> it. Ah, experiments are for losers. Right. You know, it's just like <laughs> or major or, government grants just talking. Exactly. We'll <laughs> talk or anything. You say that you make your predictions that 50 years from now in New York City will be 20 feet underwater. Right. You know, of course, <laughs> no one knows if you're wrong. You have to, every 20 years, you have to redo that for 20 years, right? Because we already hit the 20 years the last uh, time. A theoretical since, physicist or a theoretical <laughs> environmental biologist, right? Um, or whatever, or whatever, <laughs> which is also theoretical. You just readjust your models every year scale. after you've been wrong. Um, and so, you know, so there's really no answer, but there's some value in kind of thinking about these things, right? What could be the advantages? Because it does kind of get you to think about function, at least in biology, this idea. And so one of the things in, in evolution, uh, I think what people now agree, it doesn't, you know, it's not like um, things go slow. I think that's kind of, you know, it used to be like, oh, you just gradually make these changes. And actually, if you, you know, the fossil records show that the changes are astronomical and short. It's like, you, you don't just, yeah, try this out, see if that's worked, try that out. It's actually, you're like, rebuild the whole machine. And as if it's a better machine, now the old machine's gone and the new one's going, or the old machine or the new machine gets wiped out because it just ain't any good. Right, right. And you just kind of have these large, these are leaps through, or, you know, on various things. And I was thinking... The reason I bring this up, so we were, you know, I was up in uh, Vancouver last week, and um, and this is something that uh, Stephen Tapscott mentions all the time. He, he's, he's never published it, I don't think. No, he did. He published it. Did I know he, exactly what you're talking about. You know what he's saying? Did he publish yeah. it? He did. I can't remember. In his I've, early I've, papers on duck spores. I've, I've heard him talk about this a yeah, lot. Even, always... even before we, well, Stephen Tapscott was, was one of the people that, uh, you know, really uncovered the evolu uh, embryonic role for duck spore. Well, yeah. Um, right, exactly. But even before he published those papers, he had this speculation, which is fascinating. Well, but, well part of that reason, before he published those papers, maybe. But one thing that Stephen has, has been great at is holding his data close to his, <laughs> close to his and not letting people scientist. know what he works on. <laughs> and so he, I think he knows sure. things years ahead of his publications. And so, and absolutely one of the, the best scientists out there for muscle biology, gene regulation, oh, yeah, and FSHD, question. cancer. And, and muscle biology know, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I've always thought one of his things has been to say, maybe we're all a little bit FSHD. And we do find duct spore expressed in some human cell and in some humans and some healthy cells and stuff. But his idea was if you look at the difference between the pre, you know, the, the organisms before the retro transposition of duct spore and the change in duct spore versus now, the difference is in, uh, 
is is what? Well, you, I, I thought I, I didn't realize. I, you, I, I knew you would know. Like, yeah, she knows everything, guys. Okay, why, why don't you why don't you tell him? <laughs> well, if I get it right, it's, well, uh, that's why I'm gonna have you tell. We him don't cause... have the huge amounts of muscle mass, right? I mean, isn't that the Speak idea? Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I said muscle mass. <laughs> How many chocolates did you have there? <laughs> that's right. That's so, why it's a podcast. <laughs> so the idea being that. You know, if you're walking around on all fours, that's one thing. Right. Right. But if you're going to basically become bipedal. Yeah. Suddenly running is not maybe in your best interests, you know? Well, on all fours. <laughs> on all, yeah, yeah. You know, so you need to, so you're going to start losing muscle mass. Losing muscle mass. And, well, your pecs. Yep. You know, upper body. Yep, yep. And then also a lot of facial communication. You could actually have just have, I mean, you just kind of look, you kind of lose some muscle mass in the face. Yep, yep. And, and if you look actually where FSHD years are affected, a lot of that, while it sucks to be affected, but if you think about it, to go from all fours and be all bulked up to becoming bipedal, total <laughs> pedal, <laughs> walking on bimodal. twos. Uh, by, by, Bipolar. Well, <laughs> well that's, that's another thing. Um, you know, having some ducks four yeah. would be a benefit. Sort of as a trimming agent, you know, something that causes cells to die. Yeah, so so maybe having a little bit of leaky ducts four that trims off some muscle mass was advantageous at some point. Was at one point in yeah. evolution yeah. advantageous, not too much, right. but enough where you're gonna. When we made that transition, this transition yeah. and too much, you know, and and so what you end up with is a leaky switch. Now the other thing about evolution, if one thinks about it, is you're pretty much done after the point of uh, reproduction. Mm -hmm. That's right. After that. Reason, you'll there's never, no you'll never select against Parkinson's <laughs> right. disease right. because there's no selection exactly. against Parkinson's disease because once you've passed reproductive age, yep. which is what, 13? I mean, <laughs> it's getting earlier and earlier. Yeah. You know, I don't know what your junior high school was like. <laughs> Not like yours. <laughs> we were different. We, yeah. we already had... Precocious uh, Midwesterners. They were already sending us the Catholic school girls back there. In, Sorry, keep them on. Yeah, it's uh, they got kicked out for not obeying. But anyway, um, it really skewed our pregnancy rate, I have to say. <laughs> because it really wasn't fair to say that our school had such a high pregnancy rate because we got all the people that got kicked out <laughs> um, of their schools. Because, right, right. Yeah, anyway. So another story. Anyway, so I, I guess the... Um, where were we going with it? Oh, then, okay. So, so, so all you need is an evolutionary advantage really probably i mean remember alexander the great died in like 30s right he was like 30 or something right i mean really historically through most of human existence you just didn't had no the all the selection is just really up through your teens yeah and so to become so maybe having this uh, retro transposition that not you know and then this leakiness that gave that that resulted in loss of muscle mass was a huge advantage and in the end humans are all we're all just different degrees of FSHD. Mm -hmm. And Stephen talks about, I love it. Actually, he's great to hear. He, he tells it much better than I, you know, kind of, there's almost like a surprise ending at the end. When you're done, <laughs> and, and I gave it the ending at the beginning. But, um, but I th it's just a really thoughtful thing. The, one of the ways, you know, the, this came about um, was we we're just, you know, talking about dog development, actually, mm. you know, and uh, we're having a really in-depth discussion about what kind of dog you would be. And someone mentioned it. Very highbrow conversation. Well, you know, <laughs> this is what the great minds do, right? And um, 
and someone had mentioned a corgi and it, it kind of triggered but this is what's kind of interesting it triggered this discussion because the idea of a corgi with those really short legs yeah or you know in these things it's not like you just suddenly got shorter and shorter and shorter right. and shorter it's legs, not a gradual right? it's just like, it's not gradual it's like all of a sudden you had a dog with really short legs and it's like wow that was really good at like getting in under all these things yeah, yeah. or i think about the the galapagos tortoises Right. And they say, oh, well, you know, the ones on the islands with the fruit really high up have really long necks. Yeah. Well, they didn't just grow a couple Slowly. inches at a time. Because <laughs> the gradual change wouldn't have conferred any survival advantage. That's right. the thing. Just it, suddenly, it takes a yeah. random powerful mutation that suddenly gives you an advantage. And that's what gets propagated. Right. So all yeah. of a sudden your neck is two feet longer than everyone right. else's. And what do you know? You survive and everyone else dies yeah. or whatever. the that's you know. And right. if you look at all the tortoises and the Galapagos, you see, you can always tell what island they're from. Yep. By just looking at their shell. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's such, well, it's actually something that the, you know, something you know, you know, everyone gives Darwin all the, all the credit on this, but it, you know, when you hear the stories about it, it's actually you know talking to somebody. It, it actually the tortoises didn't click it in for him. Actually, it was kind of you know we see everybody sees the same data, and and you have different interpretations. That was striking because I went to the Galapagos a, a few years back. Um, you know, I always thought the tortoises were what kind of you know, the finches and the yeah, finch beaks. So it was all the finches. Yeah, Darwin was so but you're there with all these tortoises and, and the people that live there and the sailors and the and there are a few people that lived there told them they said, Oh yeah, I can I can tell you what I can just, just show me the shell and I can tell you what island they came from. You know, that's interesting. But never actually oh, ignored that. No, he didn't <laughs> totally 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 blew it, totally missed it. Wow. He, it wasn't until he got back to England oh, with all these finches that they kind of got his, you know, origin of species. And I I I don't think the tortoises even mentioned in there it's all about so yeah he had totally missed it when actually that was like i mean basically when they said as soon as they said that if you really you know yeah. of course it's obvious now but yeah, yeah but why would right. that be that was actually more obvious than the finches in yeah, some way. yeah the anyway they could the, the, the point is that you know leaps in evolution conferring advantage um retro transposition of the ducks four gene to where it is with this epigenetic regulation at some point because um, actually this is one of my criticisms of the ducks four model initially is why do we have ducks four and as a developmental biologist <laughs> well I actually you know I've, I've said it before I know we're not supposed to say things but I was a reviewer on the plus genetics paper um the Schneider paper in 2010 oh yeah and, paper. and I rejected <laughs> that paper initially oh, well, I, re I rejected it because I said you got I said well, well first off the, the model actually was really good to, and it may have probably forced them to put in something they knew or else they figured it out. Mm. But this is how, you know, this is the job of the reviewer. In me, my mind, the, the data was fine, but they're basically telling me that uh, this was about the, the permissive allele, right? Which right. we had known about from Richard Lemmer's work since 2002. FSHD is always associated with A. Right. And so they went through and they showed that FSHD cells express ducts for mRNA and protein. Healthy cells basically don't. Um, and so... Um, and it's all due to the unifying model. This was kind of almost co-published with Richard Lemmer's science paper. You know, it's the same groups. They just kind of jumbled up the, mm -hmm. two, the two things yep. on the unifying theory of FSHD. And uh, I was basically like, well, 25% of the human population is BB. They can't make ducks four. Exon three is not there. This sec part two is missing. Right. So I don't believe that this has any relevance whatsoever because, or show me, you have to, you have to basically make the case. That's what I actually told you. You have to make the case because that's not how evolution works. Evolution says this should have been eliminated. It's a highly methylated sequence in the genome. Methylation is very dangerous in the genome because it is the number one site of mutations. Yeah. 
your cancer mutations come on methylated CPGs because when you deamine, when you have a spontaneous deamination of methyl C, right, it actually does, it looks like a T. Mm -hmm. It does not get picked out by um, uh, the, your repair machinery that scans your genome for mutations. And so, so you don't have methylation all throughout your genome. It's actually a very, it's actually pretty Specific rare. Places, it's only yeah. 1% of your CPGs Thank goodness. are methylated. <laughs> like 99% of the spots in your genome that can have a methylation group don't have one because it's really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And so here you have the FSHD region, which is very heavily methylated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's unusual. Um, so you want it to be off, this way to keep it off, but it's not being mutated. Right. I, we, we hypothesized that we should find lots of people with a mutated DUX4 because all it is is bad. It just gives you FSHD. Right. right. So, so what's explain, the selective pressure so that one, keeps it intact? So one, you 25% of the people don't need it. So that tells me you don't can't make it, so you don't need it. Right. And then the rest is. Oh, you know, that's actually a totally so, valid. So that was my review. review. I'm just like, criticism. I'm like, yeah. that was my criticism. Yeah, that's, that's and so good. they came back with, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> reviewer number three. Reviewer number three. <laughs> <laughs> Which I got to say, have you seen the, um, this is, sorry, I hope this, don't take the story. Have you seen, you've seen the YouTube of Hitler and reviewer number three? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a good one. Yeah. It, always reviewer number three now not that you want to make fun of nazis well you don't want to make fun of nazis but not that hitler's something to, to laugh and anyway if you're in science there's actually a youtube video in german from um like one of the third one of the movies a hitler movie um about world war ii and it basically goes it's an example of how we have the review process for journal papers obviously it's just done and it's kind of yeah, a joke spoof. Yeah. it's a spoof but it, it actually it does it's a good example of what we all feel like when you get reviews yeah, from yeah. papers yeah, right yep there's always one reviewer <laughs> there's always reviewer number three right. who probably anyway check it out youtube just google google on youtube reviewer number three probably nazi or hitler or something like that i don't know Sorry, and don't and, and and delete your search history because <laughs> yeah. Lord knows these feds are going to come after you if you if you uh, they think you're up to no good. Um, what they consider no good. Um, so uh, anyway, so they came back with a response, and what they came back with was, "You're right." Um, you know, however, it turns out that only that this Exxon three part two is the part two that's used in uh, in muscle and somatic cells. Right. But there's actually another place where you can have part two, and that's exon seven downstream. Mm -hmm. And that is actually used in testes and developmentally because they did show in their paper that, that a male testes in the male germline expresses DUX4 and that stem cells express DUX4 and IPS cell induced pluripotent stem cells, every you know. And so what they showed is that, well, there are two you have part one is the same in everybody, and then your part you have two different part twos. You have the permissive part two that's used in FSHD and in muscle, and then you have a different part two polyadenylation signal that everybody has. Even if you're BB, you have this exon seven that's downstream, but that is only used during um, development, and it's only used in stem cell biology. And so that actually answered the question. I accepted the paper. I mean, I. I mean, I, well, that was, I, I don't know if they were, that could have been a whole other paper because that'll yeah, all end up yeah, to be like yeah. figure 12 or yeah, something like that. Yeah. But 
you know, it was just kind of like, because it really bothered me that, we, you know, this, at the time, you know, we didn't know ducks were the genetics, but that was a case of genetics are arguing against it mm-hmm. because. And yet there was an explanation. But, well, that, that's what good scientists do. Good yeah. scientists. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, that gang, that's uh, Stephen Tapscott and Silver Vandermeral, Robbie oh, yeah. Twill. Uh, at the time, Dan Miller was mm-hmm. part of that yep. group. And, um, yeah, great group of people. Yeah, Lauren Snyder, uh, Richard Lemmers, all these guys, and, you know, best best of the best yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And Pioneers FSHD. And, and that's right. You take a you take a, you take a review, and they're like, yep, and they answered it. And after, when that answer came back, I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sold. It's Ducks 4. There's a Ducks 4 model, yeah. All right. Well, okay, so... I mentioned we were going to talk about some questions that people had oh, about right, CRISPR, right. and we kind of got off track. This, this is a problem with us, you know. We well, is it a problem with us? <laughs> well, I mean, with us. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> if it were me, I'd have a you know an outline. I'd stick to it. It'd be, and people would probably turn off after two minutes because that's why I didn't tell you. You know, so, <laughs> not as spontaneous so, as you. So the way I planned this podcast is I, I went into Carice's office and she was working on a grant, and I said, "Hey, you want to do a podcast?" She said, "What's the topic?" I don't know. Whatever Here the boss are. wants. <laughs> I'm that, prepared for anything. Now that now that those are two great those are two things you want your employees to say. Let me tell you, whatever <laughs> the boss wants, and I'm prepared for anything. <laughs> More or less. More or less. <laughs> Be careful what yeah. you wish for. All right. So um right. So we got a question that was on the and came in. And so well, actually, we did do the first question. It was how does FSHD work? So, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah we were, okay. We're, we're on track. We're, At least FSHD1. It says, why are there so many different phenotypes? Oh, well, man, look, go to Walmart, man. I mean, look around. <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, right. Why I mean, should you want some phenotypes? Be any so that's a good, Jeez, just, good point. You know, it's another YouTube uh, video of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also get us in trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, we took, uh, took Kari up to, Kari is our South African medical student, took her up to Virginia City. She wanted to do some souvenir shopping. Yeah. Got some ice cream and just sat there just for like half an hour just watching people go by. Was she uh, wow. entertained? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm anything, you know, to look at. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We are a colorful a, species. There's a great variability in the human species yes. and subspecies. Absolutely. <laughs> and related species. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, but I think that that is a lot of it, you know. So way back at, uh, I remember back at PBRI, we did that study when we first got the Wellstone cells and did RNA, that's right, when you were just probably showing up, you know, RNA-seq, genome expression analysis, and all we had all these families of of FSHDers where you had affected and unaffected and asymptomatic and everything. And so did global gene expression analysis and figured that everybody would group into FSHD and not FSHD and maybe asymptomatic in the middle. Right. And what ended up happening is everybody grouped with their family. Yeah. Which really isn't shouldn't be that unexpected. Yeah. You are more like your relatives than you are like other any people other patient with FSHD. Or any other person who has your condition. That's right. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's really you are you know, a prisoner of your genome, which came from your, your parents. Yeah. And um, all and the, the modifiers or whatever. And the mixing and the went on and then the, soma- the somatic mutations, you know, throughout your entire life, you're gathering mutations that relatives don't have mm-hmm. just random spontaneous mutations and all of this stuff. Yep. Um, you have different uh, variability in your immune system and your immune response. You can be re some people react to things very severely. Some people don't, you have different, um, 
And then, of course, there's and the different effort. lifestyles, too. As, uh, I think you and Tamara Gottlieb really did a great job you know, talking about, um, you know, the different uh, different ways people uh, exercise, different ways uh, they they treat their diet and they handle um, their life stress, and environment sleep. and stress, uh. sleep, all those things, some of which you can control and some of which you can't, um, you know, all of that contributes to the phenotype. Well, and there could have even been different in utero environments for some yeah, between yeah. siblings, you know, was mom stressed during your pregnancy because you were the first kid and then second kid at cool, whatever, you know, I mean, this is, it wasn't, that's just, the things you can't control. Just, just drop one out, you know, and just keep going, right? Yeah. Everyone says you're cool with the second and third. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying that there's a lot of a lot of variables, and, and especially now with FSHD, there is a little bit more variability because it's epigenetically regulated. Um, there are going to be different levels of ducts for in different people. It is it is different from other neuromuscular diseases, like Duchenne muscular dystrophy. We always talk about every cell is mutated in dystrophin, every cell is missing dystrophin, all their muscle cells are pretty much the same, and if you go across different people with you know because now you get you know this will be the counter argument different kids with Duchenne muscular dystrophy with a similar mutation run the same time course of disease. You can almost like just write, you know, mark yeah. it down. You're going to be this at this age, this at this age. Well, some this some age. proteins are so important that when you have a loss of function, it is so devastating that the phenotype is essentially the same. And whatever minor variations in phenotype you might experience based on being different people get overwhelmed by the, the major. So this is really the idea of a, a street light is on, the street light is off. Yeah. That's kind of what you know, this is going on and you're walking around blind versus you can see everything. Right. Whereas in FSHD, it's a dimmer. It's, you know, we talked about it. It's yeah. a dimmer switch. You have even within, fam you know, so in addition to your family background, people have different levels of ducts for and different ability to activate more ducts. That's our model. at yeah. least. And I think we showed that experimentally. Takako's uh, paper from uh, 2015 showed that you can induce cells um, from someone with FSHD to express ducts for Much more easily, very easily. Yeah. And what we mean by this is going back to the model where in Duchenne muscular dystrophy or limb girdle or any of these others where every cell is broken. Right. In FSHD, all your cells have the same genetic mutation, but on the protein level and the structural level, most of your cells are fine. That's right. They're poised to break, but they're not broken. Right. There's only a few cells that are actually bad at any one time that are expressing ducts for, and of course it's cumulative damage over your right. lifetime, right. which is why you're getting worse. Why it's late worse. onset, and yeah, and, and not as severe as Duchenne, right? You no, know, although Michael, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. Michael was saying, um, Tamara's husband, we'll, we'll just we'll relegate him to that role. He's <laughs> Tamara's husband. Um, uh, said, you know, you shouldn't be late onset. You've had it your whole life, and that's true. You just don't notice the early pathology right. that's going on because right. you know and so it's a cumulative pathology over life. A few cells are broken. It's cumulative damage. Maybe response to that damage. Sometimes it gets repaired. Sometimes it makes more damage. Different people are going to be different. Your dimmer switch is set a little bit different. And the methylation that we measure, which we're going to get to the next question, um, is actually, you know, indicative of how of your how the Dux4 gene is poised epigenetically to be, we'll say, turned on. And so we always have this little bit of a slip of the tongue when we say this. We always say it's on and off. You know, it's epigenetically on, epigenetically off. Well, Dux4 in non-FSHD individuals is epigenetically off. It is actively repressed. The, the state of the DNA is your closed slinky that you can't get to. And Dux4 in F people with FSHD is epigenetically, it's actually poised. The slinky is open. But the Dux4 gene isn't necessarily on. 
it is able to be turned on. Right. Whether it's spontaneous or through stressors or through activators, and no one really understands fully how it can be turned on in FSHD, but it's only turned on sporadically in bursts in cells and in the smallest fraction of cells. And we have shown that you can, so if you take cells from someone that does not have FSHD muscle cells, and you grow them in culture, and you hit them with a particular stressor, they basically still don't express Dux4. They're just normal cells. Right. You take muscle cells from someone with FSHD and um, and you hit them with a stressor. And so before the stressor, there's like 0.01% cells expressing Dux4. You hit them with the stressor and maybe, yeah, and you get a you know, 50-fold increase in expression. Which is why we say they're much more inducible. Right, and it's not the levels expression. that are going up, it's the number of cells that are expressing. So right. if Dux4 is poised on the edge of a cliff, you can push it over the cliff and it's on right. or easy, but just because, you know, but it's not on in all your cells. Right. It's right. just epigenetically amenable to being turned on. Right. Is the so all this kind of gets it. at why there's so many different phenotypes and so many Right. And so this, these are all points, so right. This is all the points of variability in here, not just your background and your genetics and how you're different in all these different ways. Well, because we, we know from uh, several sets of identical twins, which are going to be genetically again similar because yeah. they're going to have different somatic mutations and as close as two people can be, <laughs> but they're also going to have different lifestyles. Right. Right. We, we, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, we know some of them are our friends very well and, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, they're identical twins, but they're very different, very, people. Very different people, fantastic yeah. in their own ways, remarkably talented, similarly talented though. But, uh, we won't tell you which one's the better one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Give me a call. I'll tell you which one. No, I just, no, they're fantastic. Yeah, actually, yeah. actually they're coming out with a book. Oh yeah, that's right. They are. Yeah. Yeah. On I don't know if we're supposed to. Well, it's on Facebook. Yeah, it's on Facebook. There. I think it's yeah. called Which One Are You <laughs> is what it's going to be. Anyway, it's going to be uh, – uh, I'm looking for it. No, yeah. Actually, the, the, the Bunker Twins are really fantastic. Um, they don't go by that anymore, but they used to. Um, but look them up. You can you can hit some YouTube up on the Bunker Twins. Um, they were uh, essentially famous, for one, for being just remarkably talented singers and dancers and and actresses. And, mm -hmm. and just, they're still remarkably talented. And uh, – we're back on uh, shows like Happy Days, Ed Sullivan Show, um, some Red Skelton Show, oh, yeah. some of these things. Yeah, they actually um, used to perform here in Reno. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they are identical twins with FSHD that were affected 20 years apart. And very differently affected. And their effect, and the way they're affected is very different. Yeah, it's a different severity, different onset. And so you're talking about genetically very similar, yeah, probably somewhat similar lifestyle. Although I don't, I, don't, I don't know, go maybe read the book and find out how similar the lifestyles were. Um, and different stresses and how you respond, but you're, you're still, even if you're identical twins, you're still very, di you're different people. Yep, yep. And, and so, you know, our, we have other friends with, you know, identical twins who are just completely different personalities. Some can be artistic while others are scientific. And so, you know, so, we, so there's just so much that goes into human biology and what you are. And I think with FSHD, it's just such, uh, so amenable to the, all these little tweaks. And that's why you get all these differences. Yeah. In addition, there are genetic differences in modifier genes, which we tried. But this one makes the search for modifier genes so hard. Yeah. You know, because there's this mentality, and we're doing this in part of you listened to the last podcast with Kari. Um, you know, there are genetic bases to say there are regulators of the locus that can be mutated. Like the FSHD2 gene is a modifier. Right. So you can have genetic things that just, this is why you're, yeah, so it yeah. could be epigenetics, which affects epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And some of them we know, and some of them we, we have no idea. Right, most of them we have no yeah, idea, probably. Right, right. Yeah. So so anyway, just I guess what I say, it's complicated. It's complicated. Genetics are complicated. And, and people are complicated. People, yep, yeah. lifestyles and everything. And FSHD, you put it all together, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. 
keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're not doing a podcast. <laughs> I'll let you. All right. So, um, so why do your tests include a methylation score and what's the significance? Well, I mean, <laughs> so on, you know, you know what we're doing when we do the, if you've done the research test through my FSHD that's done in our academic research lab, you get back a report that says, here's your, you know, we call it a RQ, relevant quartile of methylation or whatever. And, you know, really conceptually, this is just a straight, you know, our FSHD, not FSHD, you know, type of thing, FSHD1 or FSHD2, if you're, if you are FSHD. And, and that's really what we know for certain is the value. These correlate very strongly, you know, the levels. Now, within that data, you have, can have, you know, you can have range. You have 0% methylation, 25% methylation, whatever, 50% methylation. And so, um, you know, so within the data, there's a lot of uh, information. And that's what we're actually trying to study. And we, we have found that in general, the lower your methylation score the earlier the onset and the more severe the disease and that, but that is within a family. So if you got 15% methylation, you go online and find someone else with 15%, you compare your FSHD-ness, you know, it might be very different, mm -hmm. but within your family, if you have someone with 5% methylation and someone with 25% methylation, both is FSHD. Well, first off, you have the same FSHD1 mutation, but there are differences that have affected the epigenetic state such that the person with the lower methylation number has more cells that are poised to express it. So they will respond mm -hmm. to stressors or whatever activators right. to get more balls rolling downhill for right. pathology and, have a more severe phenotype. and a more severe phenotype. Now there are always some exceptions because we, again, downstream of ducts for people can be different. Right. Right. So many points at which people can be different. Yeah. That affect the ultimate, you know, yeah. Phenotype. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. Uh, so there's a lot going on, but in general, the score does have some predictive value, but not you know it's it's hard because what people want to know is what does this mean? What does this mean for my future? Yeah, and what I really want to say is it doesn't matter because we're going to fix it. <laughs> That's right. That is right. You're going to fix it. Oh sure. <laughs> well, I could say CRISPR, right? What do you mean? I mean, yeah. That's right. Well, you're not so confident now. <laughs> She's very humble. We are, we are very encouraged by our CRISPR technology. But also very careful. Of course, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control, but uh, everything that we can control, we're doing, we're doing what yes, we can. Yes, nobody is in a hurry, right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it interesting? The people without the disease are the people that want to go fast and yeah. get it to clinic and people, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So that gets to our next question. Your new CRISPR technology. Tell us more. I'll tell you what, before we get to this, let's slip in another question that came from a different source. And this question was um, on the MyFSHD website. It said, all you guys ever talk about CRISPR is Cas9. <laughs> um, you never talk about Cas12 or Cas13. So what's up? Well, you know, we talked about orthologs, which are, you know, proteins, you know, that do the same thing in different species. Um, so Cas9 came from, uh, you know, uh, bacteria. And there's a whole bunch of, of other species of bacteria that have different uh, CRISPR, you know, Cas orthologs like Cas12 and these other things. Some of them are smaller, which is good from a gene therapy perspective because gene therapy approaches are, are limited by, by size. And so kind of the smaller the protein you need to do the job, the better. Um, 
the problem with all of these things is, you know, they're always finding more cast uh, family members and they're always find, you know, building better tools, but it takes time to characterize these things. If we were to, you know, base our CRISPR technology for FSHD on whatever the latest thing that just came out in the CRISPR toolbox, we'd never get to clinic. We never would because things are constantly moving and we'd constantly be changing and recharacterizing. It's not just a matter of switching it. You know, we, we can't just, you know, <laughs> put CAS-12 in place. I mean, it takes a lot of testing, a lot of paring down and, and uh, yeah, so it's at some point you have to decide that what you have is good enough so, and, uh, and go with it. Um, so part of it is, Right. Cast nine was really the first one that really kind of hit the hit the big time. Yeah, right? that's the one that um, uh, Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Dudna worked on when they when they took the different um, components and kind of put them together into a usable system that yeah. you could use in the lab. So that was Cast nine. So some of it's historical. Right. But. But you're right there. They're, I mean, every time you open up a, the journal cell, yeah, I mean, there's it's, a new CRISPR tool. There's a new CRISPR, yeah. the new and, one that's come out, and everything on that person. This is a great, great for academic scientists because the best way to publish in Nature, Science, and Cell, you know, the really top journals, is uh, to, to do. Well, a, to have your boss <laughs> win a Nobel Prize. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything you do, you sneeze on a post it note, yeah, it's going to yeah. be on the we, cover. We publish these sort um, of uh, broad, you know, proof of principle studies where it doesn't involve a whole lot of characterization, a whole lot of uh, making the tool clinically relevant. It's, it's more like, Look what we can do with but, this. But the question you is, you know, which have, is great, but it takes a lot, a lot of work downstream. Move the needle, right? Right. And so with Cas twelve, which is this okay? So it does the same thing as Cas nine. So what's the difference? Well, they said, oh, you only it's it's, it's one RNA. You don't need two RNAs. And of course, well, Cas nine for what we use the one RNA that you know it's fused the small guide RNA is fused to two RNAs. So, but anyway, the RNA that you use is a little bit smaller, so the protein can be smaller. It also has a different PAM. So there's some sequence recognition. I think you had GG for Cas9. So yeah, there's PAM recognition, so, which so is you, different. You can't you can't target these things to any right. thing you're, in the you're genome. Limited to yeah, but you can get pretty close. You get pretty close. But then there's the, the big problem for me is always specificity. You know, testing the specificity. Um, some of, some of these things can be very effective in terms of targeting the sequence you want to target. What else do they target that you don't want targeted? So, and, and that is a expensive and, and time consuming and difficult experiment to really. So that's exactly right, yeah. and it gets back to our evolution question or discussion. So remember, these things are bacterial proteins. Right that were evolved as a sort of primitive immune system to protect the bacterial genome. From, from viruses. So the bacterial them. genome is at maximum eight megabases. Okay. That is a really small <laughs> genome. By our standards, yes. <laughs> well, so, so to have specificity in that, yeah. if you just do the math on specificity yeah. and how many potential off targets you can have, they don't have introns and X, they, they basically have linear genes, right? right. These are, these are. So it's not, not such an issue for a bacteria. Right, they're not filled with all this other sequence <laughs> right. and stuff. You know, human genome is, you know, orders of magnitude yeah. and larger. we're talking a 17 to 20, you know, base long <clears throat> sequence and how many, and, uh, and how slutty is it? And exactly. Know? How promiscuous. That's that's exactly Sorry. the term we use. How promiscuous. <laughs> how promiscuous. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not just a question of whether it will bind perfectly, but even if it binds semi-perfectly, sometimes it's enough to still do the Well, job. so that's the thing. If you if you say, okay, well, this binds like 95% of the time, and that's great, but the 5% of the time it binds somewhere else. Yeah. Now if and it, it cuts that. Tumor suppressor it, gene or something, you know, yeah, you can have serious problems. Yeah, you can have all you sorts. You don't want to cure FSHD and give somebody cancer. So, so this is a serious, serious issue. Boy, on the, num on the numbers game of you know 10 to the 13th cells in your body right and a genome of 3 billion base pairs yeah 
um, specificity is an issue. It's an issue. And so these were not evolved for specificity right. on that level. Exactly. And using them in the lab. And there's a, prediction tools only go so far. You have to do the experiment empirically. And, and even then, you're limited by what the software can detect. You're limited by. Well, by and it's still a prediction. And, it's a yeah, prediction yeah. without all the data. Yep. Again, maybe we'll get back to our climate prediction. That's why they're wrong constantly. You know, yeah, it, it's just, well, because, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated system of which you don't know all the variables. Right. That, that that are going in right, right and so you model and then you try it and yep. you redo, the, redo model, the model and you try and it and again there's nothing like knocking yeah, modeling i'm just saying that, right that it's just a, but but yeah. that's what you got to do is refinement you, of models you do your best data. shot yeah, yeah and then you say okay that didn't work out but ultimately the only way to know is to go into a person and, so the question and, is and do we want to do this do within a reasonable time frame or do we want to keep you know changing the system well but again it gets back so is it good enough right right so i think the idea that most of the field now because we just had these so so um epic bio Right, they just hit the splash big time with uh, FSHD without showing one single shred of data. <laughs> um, you know, it's yeah. a, they're, they're lobbying for a position in the administration. <laughs> um, so we don't need we don't need to show any data. We don't need proof. We don't, oh, sorry, that's your chocolate. stealing her chocolate. Um, but that's fine. They don't need to, right? right? I mean, I assume they showed it confidentially to investors who don't know anything about FSHD. Um, but they're using these really small. Um, mini casts, right. right? And so, but again, it gets back to the same thing. Maybe they're, may, you know, but but conceptually, you could engineer a cast. Mm -hmm. Screw evolution, just engineer a cast that is more specific. That's super specific. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. I mean, yeah. why not? Right. I mean, so that, be great. So, so all these things, you know. But again, that that's a whole project on its own. Yeah. In fact, there are companies that are basic companies have evolved to kind of do this. CRISPR technology companies. Right. But the point is, do you want to wait for all of yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Do Meanwhile, Cas9 is is making, good enough. It's good enough it's for a lot of damn them, you know, specific. It's in, in clinical trials for things. So. Now, now if you're cutting, right? And Cas9, we'll get to the second part of the question in a second. The Cas9, you're cutting um, the DNA. Specificity is a little bit more important. More okay? important. That's now right. we also know there's a difference between recruitment specificity and cutting, and and cutting. Not right. everything that gets recruited cuts. Right. And so that's it. We can get into that. But what you work on is um, this gets to talking more about our own CRISPR technology. And again, we should preface by saying um, we work on CRISPR inhibition. We have an academic lab that does this, but we also are co-founders of a company called Renogenics. It used to be called EpiSwitch RX, but we had a trademark issue, um, which is really ridiculous. Oh, yeah. A COVID test as called As far as I know, that's what that company does. That's basically yeah, what I know. they do. The, uh, <laughs> Threatened to sue anyone who has a The EpiSwitch COVID remote. test. Yeah. <laughs> what if they made us change our name? I don't know. The fuck, I mean, seriously. I mean, what yeah, a, whatever. What a joke. Whatever. We didn't want anyway. to fight it. We don't have to kind of work. But anyway, we're called Renogenics now. And just as a qualifier, so because we're not, you know, this is, you know, the, the my FSHD is a nonprofit, not for own, but just so you guys know where that we do have a, I guess you could say, interest. There's, a, there's, a, there's a conflict of interest on a certain level, you could say, I guess. But we're disclosing, well, we're, we're disclosing our, we're disclosing yeah. what we're yeah, doing. Yeah. yeah. Our conflict is we're, well, we also, well, I don't know, we're, yeah, we're trying, we want to get, we think our CRISPR technology is pretty damn good. Yeah, that's the whole point of having the company. Yeah, yeah try to get it. It's the only way to get it to clinic. Yeah, it's not to sell the company, it's to, it's to get this to clinic. And that's how you get stuff to clinic. Yeah, academic labs really can't take these things to clinic. Um, N of one trials don't work. Anyway, just wanted to make sure we remind everybody we do have that. And get back that to, so we're talking about Cas9 cuts DNA. Right. You you use dead Cas9, right? And right. I know you've talked about this before, but just oh, run us okay. through that for a second. So uh, it's a it's a dead version, meaning it's enzymatically inactive; it can't cut DNA. And uh, we just use a 
specifically as a, as a means of fusing to a repressor protein to basically uh, target with a guide RNA to DUX4 and turn off DUX4, which should be off anyway. And uh, so when we talk about specificity, what's the, what are the uh, risks involved in recruiting a repressor to, you know, other areas of the genome? Well, most of the genome really isn't on at any given time. Yeah. You know, it's a lot less uh, risky than, than cutting. At well, so it's an interesting thing, right? Because cutting almost anywhere in the genome anywhere. is bad. Yeah, uh, double stranded cut. genomic instability and cell death. It's, it's, it's a disaster Apoptosis for the cell. It doesn't matter cell. where. That's yeah, right. it doesn't matter where. But Even cutting in the middle of a gene desert, it's right. got nothing. Right. You get a double strand break there. And, and, and yeah. that cell's going to die. So inherently, CRISPR inhibition is much safer than CRISPR editing. So uh, that's always, you know, that's, that's always been true. This is why we started doing CRISPR yeah. inhibition in the first that's place. That's probably why Epic Bio is doing yeah. CRISPR inhibition as well. But, because, you know, even yeah. our, uh, we've, we've done global transcription analysis of muscle cells with uh, that have been treated with our, our CRISPR inhibition platform. And the results are incredibly encouraging. There really are no detectable off targets. Oh, it's insanely. I mean, it know, is with, so, with it is so specific that it's hard to believe. Yeah, You're almost yeah. like, okay, we got to do that again and make sure that which is always good to do. Yeah, but there were other things that were not as specific, you know, and so right. everything you know, is not specific. Yeah, so, so we it actually was nice to see well, that. And, I say uh, we because it worked. <laughs> royally. So it worked, and so I, I get to take credit for some of this. Yeah, so that's why we're so encouraged because the specificity is a huge thing. And things have to be yeah. effective, but they also have to be specific at the doses that are required to to actually um, you know help people. Right. So we get we're very so you've also done some other um advanced well we'll publish it too we'll, we'll do we'll actually after your stuff's published we can talk about yeah, so yeah, some of the stuff is you have your all-in-one everything mm -hmm. fits in a vector for yeah. delivery yeah you know i'm not sure when nice the, question, the question was just tell us a little more about yeah, it yeah yeah you you made this yep. really ingenious uh, modification to the gene regulatory cassette that makes sure that the crispr inhibition is only going to be expressed in skeletal muscle yep. teeny tiny bit in the heart or, or not. not or not <laughs> Have a little harder or not. <laughs> it could be heartless. All right. Um, um, and so it's actually really fantastic. Yeah, we've got a good therapeutic cassette. Telling you, find yourself brilliant people and hire them, you know, and you cannot hire her away from me, by the way. <laughs> That's true. I, 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 uh, I, got, I work for dumplings. I got something on her. <laughs> she, she can't leave. <laughs> oh, touche. So. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so um, the, this kind of gets to the last thing. Can you comment on the article in the Jerusalem? Yeah, I feel bad tomorrow if you're listening. I know that these questions came into your, to your um, to your Facebook group, but it looks to me like you're absolutely buried. And I'm going to have you back on, but buried, you know, on these questions. I, I was going to go over this with Tamara as my. Oh yeah, yeah. But she's—I mean, she's just slammed with this. I mean, so much in yeah, people are interested so much in, in the nutrition. Oh. And it's really fantastic. And you what know, honestly, doing. what what she does for her family in terms of nutrition and exercise and the regimen is something we should all be doing. This is this is probably something that helps not just FSHD, but people with any condition or right. or healthy people. You know, we're all going to have something at some point in our lives. This is a great. Yeah, so it's check just, out the. You know, it takes a lot of work, yes, and it takes discipline, but it is so worth doing. So, I'm but a, if you're on the face, if you're on Facebook, check out the FSHD nutrition and supplements and peer support yeah, group so run by Tamara Gottlieb. And um, and uh, that's fantastic. Great advice. We're going to have her back in on. In the absence of a, of a cure that, that gets to the root of FSHD or even in when, when we have that, this, this is a Probably want to, to keep do. it up to keep yeah, things going. absolutely. But these are where some of these questions have come from or through through her Facebook group. They're posted to her. And so, um, so I'm... Uh, uh, she had sent them to me in an email and we just have never gotten around to getting her back on just because it's been she's been slammed well, I've yeah, been slammed yeah, she's been yeah. slammed traveling so anyway I got you here so we're going through these the last one was um 
article in the Jerusalem Post on the dangers of CRISPR. Well, I didn't read the article, no, but I pretty I much can guess, we can what, guess it what it is. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gets back to some of the things. Yeah, you were just we talked about, about specificity. We talked about uh, you know the dangers of uh, unregulated you know <laughs> or the genome machine that uh, or sorry. I'm thinking about my book. That's terrible. <laughs> Cutting the Boy, genome. Boy, notice how she slipped that in there. I'm thinking about my book. Did we mention that, that, that? Did out. we mention that she that she is out. a writer and she nice. has a novel is, uh... that will be available on Amazon pretty soon? And we wouldn't dare pump anything like that. Uh, sorry, it's just going through my head. And yes, I was not that's thinking. right. Our CRISPR goddess wrote a CRISPR novel, um, and there might be some characters you know that show up. <laughs> That's why you have that disclaimer at the front. <laughs> anyway, what yeah. were you? Anyway, I was saying CRISPR editing, cutting the genome at uh, places that are unintended, really bad. One of the, the dangers is that you will cut a tumor suppressor gene, which would be really terrible. Um, you know, but uh, but our CRISPR technology, that, that really is uh, completely well, mitigated. And some of that also is going to be the fact that in general, when you put, if you do gene therapy, AB mediated gene therapy, what's going to happen is this is going to be on all the time. Right. And so meaning that you're going to be expressing the CRISPR machine right. all the time in your cells and sometimes in the wrong, you know, but you're going to be expressing yeah. it. So we've, we've mitigated some of that. But if it's a cutter, it'll eventually find, it's not like, you know, specificity like today. It's like specificity over the next 30 years. Yeah. Is it ever going to find something to cut? That's actually a dangerous thing. So, yeah. so the way people are trying to mitigate that, or deliver RNA, like your RNA vaccine. These are kind of the hit and run type of things, like CRISPR vaccine. But for which... muscle, for FSHD, for CRISPR inhibition, having dead Cas9 fused to a presser, you know, hanging out as an episome in your in your cells for a long period of time may not be a bad thing. No, it'll be a good thing. It may be a very good thing because it no, may that's provide, the point. That, this you know, is where we continual we... repression Conti over the course of a it, lifetime. So, so that's another thing. The, 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 the CRISPR inhibition doesn't have this problem. Yeah. If so you say it's going to be on for other gonna... things, maybe a blessing for. But that's exactly another. Well, it's also a blessing for CRISPR inhibition. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. This you want to maintain expression, right? Right. And so the people that are thinking about cutting, what they're trying to do, they have to get around. Either have to design something that's very unstable that right. turns. Over. And but they're again, coming up with all kinds of clever strategies to try to do but, this. But <laughs> remember, they had the one that's like inducible by light. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I, was like, well, <laughs> I can't see crazy. that going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just shine a flashlight on that. Hope our hand doesn't like shake. Light activated. <laughs> yeah. but, but, gee, you know, like, I remember how, that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Good. No trials for that. <laughs> right. So, so the way that the cutting is trying to mitigate this, right? These are things like nanoparticles, or even, or anyway, you know. If you think about the COVID vaccine, the COVID vaccine was an mRNA that gets, you know, you inject that in through some lipid nanoparticles mm -hmm. and, you know, and the mRNA gets translated into protein and that protein stimulates an immune response and what, whatever. Okay. That, that, that's kind of, so that's, that we could use this technology for gene therapy type of thing. And uh, conceptually, sure. Right. And that's what kind of people are thinking. Say, well, if the problem is that the CRISPR editing is going to be dangerous in the long haul, so just do it short term. We'll just load up mRNA into some sort of nanoparticle, inject it. Hope and that it gets it, the skeletal muscle. Well, now, again, <laughs> we always say the devil's in the details. And it's like, you know. This, They've been in, trying to do that for decades. In a dish, in a dish of cell culture, it's going to work. You might even get it to work on it to some level in a mouse, you know. And uh, to some level, right? Yeah. I mean, again, people look delivery. at very delivery small... to body-wide skeletal muscle is a huge problem. AV vectors it's, are still by far away. It's the real about... estate of of medicine, right? Man, location, location, location. Yeah. Because 
Delivery is exactly Delivery right. to airway epithelia, no problem. <laughs> delivery to the liver, no problem. It goes there whether you want it to or not. Delivery to skeletal muscles throughout the body, that is a huge challenge. Still, you know, people are working on these novel things, but uh, right now, yeah. Plus, no associated so, viral so there's two issues of delivery. One, you got to get it to all the skeletal muscles. Yeah. And two, I don't know that the technology is there where you can do tissue-specific delivery of lipid nanoparticles. No. Because... They're still working you know, on it. You know, the AAV, you can get pretty... So if it, so for AAV, adeno-associated virus, this is the typical virus for a gene therapy where you're going to um, essentially inject the virus that's going to encode your therapeutic cargo. In this case, it would be the CRISPR machine and its guide RNA under a regulatory element that says it will only be on in the tissue of interest, in this case, skeletal muscle. Right. That's what they're trying to compete with. Yep. So you're going to take an mRNA, you're going to bypass all of that and say, we're just going to take the mRNA that encodes for the CRISPR machine and presumably the guide RNA, or you're going to load it up with a protein. Maybe you make the CRISPR protein and guide and assemble it in the lab and you load that up. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to take the end product and we're going to just inject a bunch of that. Now, if that goes to, I mean, now, first off, how much of that can you put in? Honestly, I got no idea how much you can put in. What's that going to do to your cells? If it goes to antigen presenting cells, that would be a major problem. Well, now you're because there's no regulate. You, you've, you've given up two two places of regulation. Yeah. In return, you've gotten back a very short window mm-hmm. of expression. So it's just going to be a short term thing. So you go in, you hit it, you hope that you edit enough cells in the right tissues um, that to you get an job. effect. If right. you change the DNA, it should be permanent. And you hope that you don't get and an then immune it goes reaction away. from Cas9 being expressed, a bacterial protein being expressed by antigen-presenting cells so, in the body. So if you really hit bad. 1% of the cells, that muscle cells, I'd say that was a tremendous success. And that might cure Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Not FSHD. That ain't going to cure FSHD. Yeah, it's not going to do it. You're going to have to, you might only, maybe, maybe you only need to hit 30% or, or 50%. You know, Stephen might say you need to hit just 30, you know, yeah, how many do you need to hit? That would be great. But that's still a huge number <laughs> of cells right, right. with these other problems. So yeah. it's it's conceptually, and again, we don't want to, you know, you're, you know, we've always said we're just dumb enough to try it. So to me, I'd say I, I have actually no problem with that no. as something, but the technology is not the technology, there. It's unless not there, there are stealth to do it programs being conducted well, by companies there. that are way further along than the academic publications would indicate, um, I, I think it's well, I a mention, long time away. <laughs> I will mention, you know, um, oddly enough, I had like two more stealth companies contact me in the past week that want to get into FSHD. <laughs> Just starting, huh? <laughs> well, they, I don't know how long their programs are. We're heading up with some NDAs and we're doing some yeah. stuff. But again, it's just they must not listen to the podcast. I guess not. Because rumor has it that this podcast <laughs> is going to be the death of my career. <laughs> of course, that's being put out there by the people paid to listen to my podcast. <laughs> paid with your donations to listen to my podcast. <laughs> to get ideas so that they know what to put on their podcast. Um, they can so, knock themselves out. <laughs> I should work, be on man. the payroll. Yeah. Come on, you can do 17 employees. Um, so it's... Uh, anyway... So there are self programs out there. Oh, yeah. No, I think, you know, this is technology that's moving because not every, you know, because there's the, te- you know, it's just that I just don't think FSHD or muscle or, or muscular dystrophies are going to be the first indications, right? This technology will go to blood disease. Then it'll go to liver disease. Sure. Things that are and so as the technology matures and it'll be great. So maybe a few, you know, maybe 10 years down the line, that's what you're doing. But 
But the idea is, what do we got now? Yeah. Is it good enough to be therapeutic? Can we get it to clinic? Is it actually, have we cleared all the hurdles to get to clinic? And honestly, companies can say whatever they want in press releases, whether it's true or not. We always take it with a huge grain of salt because the truth is academic labs are where most discoveries, true discoveries are made. That is, the, those are the foundations for what companies ultimately develop in terms of translational tools. And so if there's nothing in the literature, in the academic literature, to suggest something is possible, even at a conceptual level, <laughs> there's just no way, I'm sorry, that a company is going to come up with this, just surprising everyone out of the blue, you know, with data that doesn't exist already. No, normally it's academically. I mean, I people, just, I just don't believe you know, it's it. kind of funny. You know, we're kind of talking about this, about how, you know, how the press, where I've always knocked the press because journalism died, you know, what, yeah. 20 years ago. That's yeah, all sensationalism. It died, it's just sensationalism. And so, you know, I think an example of that is kind of my OAV. And we're going to talk about this. And I'm not knocking that and just saying, you know, that hit the big press and we, it was a breakthrough. It was a, you know, breakthrough press, you know, wow, my OAV actually is discovered by a guy with FSHD and his family going on to start a company and everything. And wow, this is, you know, New York times puts it out there, you know, well, you know, the, the guys who discovered AAV Mayo three years earlier in Germany and patented it, we're, we're pretty pissed about it actually. Cause they're like, well, they didn't get this kind of coverage. Like, Nobody cares about, you know, yeah. it's just, but it's, you know, what's yeah. your, you just need a better press office. You know, the Broad Institute's got a great press office yeah, and yeah. great connections at the New York Times. That's true. Right. But I mean, from a, from a, you know, then you start looking around, you're like, yeah, there's half a dozen companies out there that have yeah. their version of AVs. I mean, this is, you know, it's engineered. A, we always say that everybody has the same ideas, specific right? For muscle, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe something is the best. Maybe this time one is, is 50 times better than anything that's out there, you know, in the clinic, but someone else has one that's 48 times as good. That's and so good. <laughs> that's pretty damn good or something yeah. that's even two times as good Yeah. because you're already actually in clinic with this stuff. But what I tell you, there, there are these, there are company, you know, when there's, where there's money to be made, which means there's chance to get your technology into clinic to help a disease that well in the end of the day is profitable um people are working on it yeah and so technology is always moving now at some point you have to say i'm going to take this viral vector capture right. this av myo av whatever yep. av9 av r 74 whatever whatever and you have to do all your studies on that and you're going to say and, and once you started that i'm going to clinic with that now that's the right. next generation might be a different one right. that's better and safer right. but we already know that those have been a efficacious yep. in clinic they're well established for neuromuscular we know disease. what the safe doses are we know what the safe dose and the unsafe doses right. are and we so, know how good they are at getting to skeletal muscle and, and not other tissues so the question really comes down to um is the dose that they can deliver efficacious for fshd right and that's where things like our pig model come into play yep. um which we generated and things like the mouse style and the humanized mouse model work that uh, takako is generating right that comes into play yeah and so there's a really lot of things you can data. do but at the end of the day you got to get into a yep. person yep. And if you're waiting for the best possible thing, every time you open up a journal, well, you got you'll another, wait forever because you'll never go to clinic. Technology's always moving. So you know what? People need stuff now. Yep. So you go, as long as it's, you don't, you don't jump the gun on what's safe. Right. You know, you're not saying but I'm going to take something sketchy. If it's effective enough and it's safe, that is worth taking yeah, where all we, the way. Where we really get into odds with pharma companies or with, let's see, Erica told me I'm saying this wrong. It's a biotech. <laughs> where we where I get into odds with biotech. Um, are when they want to take when they ignore data that suggests things might not work, right. or they want to kind of jump the gun and kind of push things forward for a re, you know without 
I don't know. Maybe we're overly cautious, but no, uh, no, I, 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 I don't think, so think we are. I think we just want to make sure the technology yeah, works work. before going to has yeah. the best chance to work before going to clinic, yeah. and you don't ignore you don't ignore any data that says it won't. Right, ignoring data that says that this doesn't work um, because you don't want to tell the board that the plan isn't any good is not not great not for it, anyone. Right, that's not great. For, well, it could <laughs> be great for, for major stockholders. <laughs> it's great for major stockholders, <laughs> exactly because they get, they cash out before yeah. the. Maybe we don't know how to run a company, but you know that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we don't know how to run <laughs> Maybe a profitable the death of us. company. Yeah. Um, no, because yeah, we're also giving our pig models. We're also giving everything away to different people and helping the competition because we actually just want to cure up this HD. Yeah. Um, and I do mean cure, not the way these other bozos say cure. We actually want to stop the destruction and then help and rebuild people muscle. rebuild muscle. Some yeah. of that's going to be nutrition and muscle health. Some of that's going to be maybe stem cell stuff. Yep. Again, the pig models are going to be great for helping rebuild and everything. Yeah. All right. So now I know you haven't had time. To, so, so you know, we have to do these little breaks every once in a while just because that's the nature of the, the anchor recording system. And in the breaks, you know, Chris is always commenting how she was, she, Normally, would be more prepared than she is. You know, she. I, I, I like to get her spontaneous. He doesn't like prepared. He thinks it. It's boring. So I never we, practice a talk. I never practice impromptu. a lecture. Oh, I never man. practice anything. Yeah. Well, I'm getting better at it. I hope. <laughs> I think you're fantastic. With practice. <laughs> well, practice being unprepared. Practice. Yeah. Who I needs mean, practice? Exactly, man. I, I mean, <laughs> Alan Another Iverson great. was right, man. Practice. We're talking about Another practice. Another great YouTube video. <laughs> That actually really learn. happened. Yeah, I know. Okay, I was saying, it sounded like a meme. No, okay. I love that. It did become a meme, a yeah. or whatever they're called. That's great. No, I think that's really great. Um, but now now you're unprepared for to come up with another song now. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't thinking about songs. Uh... You can always sing Cherry Pie for <laughs> No. People are really going to start to wonder about this. I sued by whoever, whoever, whoever really sings Cherry Pie. Warren. Yeah. You don't actually know? No, I don't know. I don't know those things. I was reading books, remember? That's right. Books. You were a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> no, the song's on you. Do we have to sing it or are we just going to play it? Well, I got to come up with a song? Yeah. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Well, I mean, I got you here. I could go. We could go with uh, She Blinded Me with Science. That's a song. Are you serious? <laughs> we better play that then to educate me. Go ahead. Well, I can't tell if you're kidding or not. You no, I'm kidding. Have... No, I'm not kidding. I have no idea. You've never heard the song "She Blinded Me with Science." No. You of all people. <laughs> Refreshingly naive, huh? <laughs> oh my goodness, my! See what I'm doing. See what I'm dealing with yeah, here, people. Yeah, it's a full education in the Jones lab. <laughs> yeah, she could Does probably to... tell you every meal she's had to eat since yeah, she was useless 13. useless information is all there. Um, What's well, in your food diary? Yeah. All right, we're gonna go with. Uh, was it Richard Dolby? She blinded me with science. Don't ask me. Let's hear it.
Oh, that's great. That guy looks like Alden Brown. <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? Actually, the uh, the science uh, character with the violin dress yeah. looks a bit like you. <laughs> you know, check out the YouTube of video. Asian. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I well, like it. We could have played uh, half Japanese girls. You know that one, don't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, no, you know, actually, yeah, that's pretty good. A, that's okay. pretty good. You seriously, that's Thomas Dolby. Sorry, said Richard. Is that a spoof on another song? No, that's actually. Okay, then I do know. I've have heard that song before. I just never. Uh, you yeah. just didn't realize it was a real song. I thought it was like a Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, it sounds. It like looks that. like a Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. Well, it exactly. could be. It, you know. Yeah, it's cool. I like Weird Al. Huh? You got some good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I should put on some Did Weird you see Al. His, oh, you should put on his grammar one. That'd be good for everybody. He's got. That's my favorite one. It would be your favorite one. <laughs> it's the funniest. It's really clever. Is it a spoon? Is it like a... Yeah. Yeah. The grammar. We, the Weird Al Yankovic grammar, grammar song. song. Yeah. But that's that. not like a spoof on anything then. Uh, well, like, it might it's be. It's not like like it, a surgeon or something like that. Or Well, it probably is because all his songs are that way. But I can't Well, that's remember. what I was wondering. Yeah. If, no, if, no, is, I'm, I'm pretty like sure a, it's a spoof on, on some song. Yeah, some it's not like song. Schoolhouse Rock where he's actually trying to teach no, you grammar. No, 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 no. It's, it's really funny. It's a spoof one, but it's all about grammar. It's pretty funny. So yeah. what's your favorite Schoolhouse Rock? I don't know. I don't know. Don't, don't tell me you don't know Schoolhouse <laughs> Rock. <laughs> are you serious? Why are you always surprised? Well, I mean, I'm not like 20 years older than you. Uh, no, <laughs> but you were uh, much more cultured, as you pointed out. You know, man of the world. I watched cartoons in the basement on every Saturday morning. Yeah, see, I was school. reading books and stuff. Reading books, yeah. yeah I didn't know by about Gene Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about those books. You know, that's what they punished you. They said, you know, you've been bad. See, my, you have my, to my go parents read forced a book. me to watch MTV when I was in trouble. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we were punished during summer yeah. and we had to read books. We're very different, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Not as much. See, as epigenetics. <laughs> You know, it's it's finding the right um, concoction, right? That's right. Well, Schoolhouse Rock were some educational cartoons, and um, that uh, so well they have one. They have a lot of them on. They're teaching you grammar, and you you could just watch any of them. (laughs) This is why my grammar. Actually, so so it's funny. We had to. um, What do we have to do though? So we had to memorize the, the preamble to the Constitution. Back in, yeah, it was like seventh grade, Miss Magram class again, good old Miss Magram. And uh, yeah, the preamble, to, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Of course, and the now, Toledo school system, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> well, you know, you had to memorize it and and you had to say it in front of class. And um, of course, now that probably would be canceled. I'm no, sure. probably. You're yeah. not allowed to do that yeah, anymore. Yeah. But we said it. Um, but they wouldn't allow us to sing it because we all we all knew the schoolhouse. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility. No one wanted to hear that. Provide for the common defense. For the teacher's sanity, you were not allowed to sing it. I can't remember the whole thing. You know, and then, then you end and you got to for ourselves and our prosperity to ordain and establish you still remember this it constitution. Wow. Uh, it was like, yeah, it must've been the, was it the bill of rights? I can, that's the thing. I don't even know if it was in the doctor. Maybe it was the bill of rights. Was that the bill of rights? We That'd the be people. so boring. We the people in order to form a more perfect union. I'm going to say it's probably the, 
Is that the opening no, of the that's the Constitution? Declaration of Independence. Yeah, but why did it establish this? Oh, yeah, we established the United States of America. Well, we had the bill. We had... It's got all this shit. Sorry. <laughs> it's got all of this stuff on me. Oh, a lot of editing going to happen and, here. <laughs> anyway, you know, I'm just a bill, only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. <laughs> that's good. Huh? I like that. Or Conjunction Junction. Oh, that's What's good. your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. You know, I went through the Hawaii public school system, and <laughs> we didn't learn any this of that. This is on TV. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> this was like in between Scooby-Doo and Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, yeah. My sister was watching okay. Scooby-Doo. Sorry. Yeah, it was much better now as an adult, you realize. <laughs> Shaggy and his munchies. All right. Anyway, okay. So, I'm um, sorry. We really went off. Uh, but, okay. So, uh, I think that was the end of our question. I think so. Yeah, that's good. And, um... Yeah, so you're good. Any more questions from you? <laughs> for me? I'll save mine for off air. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I really appreciate you taking some time. You yeah. need to get back to writing on that grant. Back to that and, grant. Um, uh, and I guess I'm writing reports. Yeah. I got to do a PCR. I got to run the lab. Oh, PCR. Yeah, he's, he's got bench work to do. All right. All right. Well, our buddy Yager is going to take us home. So, Yager, and then thanks a lot. All right. really appreciate thanks. you taking the time. Thanks again for listening. All right.